Welcome to the World of Wisdom podcast. My name is Amit Paul, and uh, I'm feeling a little bit heavy in my body, a little bit tired, and it's a very dark morning. It feels like a cold morning here in Reykjavik, but I'm really excited to have this conversation. This is on one of my favorite topics, and it's about sort of, well, let's see what it's going to be about, but it's, we're definitely going to touch about sort of the economic system as it is today and what are the other possibilities for what the reasons for or like even how it could be different uh, and it definitely could be different i think so very very welcome to the podcast dovev lavi thank you very much uh, amit it's a real uh, pleasure to join your podcast i'm uh, professor dovev lavi from bocconi university and uh, in this conversation i will uh, draw mainly from my uh, recent book the cooperative economy yeah, this will be, uh, be very exciting uh, to hear uh, more about your work and get into the details. And I will I will get the first uh, hardest question out of the way to uh, start with to kind of let you let you frame yourself as you see fit for this uh, conversation or or as you see fit for for just now. Um, but uh, who are you, Professor Devev Lavi? Okay, so that's uh, actually an intriguing question because uh, it's. Uh has been an evolving journey for me. For uh, 20 years, I've been uh, researching and teaching in uh, business schools, uh, focusing on the domain of business strategy, examining the topics of value creation and capture, essentially uh, helping companies to uh, make money and students to become uh, successful entrepreneurs. But uh, in the past uh, two, three years, I think, uh, especially uh, since uh, the COVID pandemic, I've been uh, revisiting my journey and realize that I've been making great strides in the wrong direction and that uh, our models uh, are flawed in the sense that they focus on concentration of uh, wealth and power, but uh, leave uh, very little room for the fair distribution of value. And this has become, uh, I think, uh, very acute in uh, recent years as uh, our economic system has uh, mostly emphasized the flows and the disadvantages of uh, the model that we have been following. So what I've been uh, doing more recently is to uh, try to think about new frameworks that uh, challenge the conventional wisdom in economics and business strategy and try uh, to uh, shape uh, a better world in the sense uh, that uh, they support societal values and prioritize them over economic uh, gains. So that has been a uh, my journey in the past few years. Hmm. I'm always I'm, I'm curious about what um, what made you see this because you said great strides and or great progress in the wrong direction. So so where was the was there a pivot point or like what what uh, facilitated this shift? During the pandemic, I found myself uh, working mostly from my home office. I didn't go much to the office. Then I took a sabbatical. So for about uh, two years, I was uh, isolated from uh, the environment that uh, was uh, surrounding me. And this gives you an opportunity to reflect and even uh, to evolve spiritually. And then you see the contrast. You see the contrast between the agenda that we've been uh, pushing in uh, the business schools and uh, what uh, spiritual guides have always uh, highlighted the need uh, to to give and to share and uh, support the welfare of others whereas uh, all of our economic uh, system is designed to uh, serve ourselves to pursue self-interest to maximize profit and utility and uh, this uh, contrast i think uh, has to be uh, resolved so 
what I've been uh, working on is a type of a system that tries to align the interest of the individual with societal values. And I think that this is uh, doable, but not within the scope of our current economic system. Mm. But let's let's stay a little bit with the with the current economic system because I, I know I mean a lot of people that are listening to this are are facilitators or, or have they have interactions with the economic systems but I I don't I, don't, I really don't know uh, how many are are trained economists or, or or trained you know have have a real clear insight into that view and I mean I took uh, <laughs> I I went to business school uh, and of course part of that was studying econ- economy and I studied a lot of accounting and I studied some of these things but but at the same time. That was a while ago. So, if you would, if we just kind of stay with stay with the trouble for a little bit and and dig into the current system and and the current sort of underlying thinking, like what are the what are we up against? Okay, so I think that many of the challenges that we face as a society are linked to the economic system, and even when you delve deeper to the motivation for economic actors. And in my book, I discuss five societal grand challenges. One is the concentration of wealth and economic inequality. The other is the dominance of ecosystem platforms. A related theme has to do with the loss of privacy and private choice. And of course, the overconsumption and abuse of natural resources. All of these are reinforced by globalization. So just to give you a quick overview of these topics, which I'm I'm sure that many of us are familiar with. So economic inequality has been reinforced in uh, recent years. Uh, There is about 1% of the population that controls uh, 50% of the wealth, and about 50% of uh, the population that uh, has only 1% of the wealth altogether. So according to Oxfam, in 2009, you needed the 380 billionaires to have the wealth of uh, the poorest half of the population. And just a decade later, 26 billionaires would uh, suffice. In the United States, you have three individuals that have more wealth than the poorest half of the population. And not only that uh, the wealth of these uh, billionaires has uh, increased in uh, recent years, but also the relative contribution to the tax system has decreased. And part of it is because of tax evasion. Part of it is because of government policies that shift the tax burden from the rich and from corporations to individuals and families. But overall, you've seen how the middle class has uh, lost uh, its uh, power and uh, the rich become richer. And this is because the economic system is uh, self-reinforcing in the sense that those with wealth and power accumulate more wealth and power and those who lack it uh, lose uh, even more. And when you think about what has been done about this, there have been many approaches. And the most common one has to do with progressive taxation. But we've seen how at uh, the highest levels of income, you see uh, regressive taxation, how public policies and government policies uh, struggle to deal with this because they don't uh, want to lose the support of uh, these uh, sources of power. There have been many other policies, uh, mostly those who suggest uh, public services and transfers, but they uh, don't really give uh, true freedom to uh, those in need and not always support those who are in uh, outmost need. And the other trends like automation, digitalization have uh, mostly benefited the capital owners, not the employees. Labor unions have lost their power. And uh, you see that uh, other policies like open markets, migrations, carry their own uh, limitations. 
if you observe who are the winners in the, this uh, reality, these are the ecosystem uh, platforms. So you can focus on the big tech firms. And uh, I think that seven out of uh, the 10 uh, richest uh, corporations in the world have digital platforms. And uh, these uh, platforms uh, have gained dominance in recent years by offering us consumers very attractive offerings, product services, and uh, they leverage the network externalities of the internet to uh, reach a position which is very difficult to contest. Uh, the issue is that uh, our traditional antitrust uh, regulation is uh, ill-equipped to deal uh, with uh, these uh, corporations because they do not restrict output. They actually offer their services for free. So the harm is caused indirectly and not uh, directly to consumers, and it's very difficult to challenge using current regulation. So uh, when we focus on uh, these uh, big tech firms, we realize that they manage to drive out uh, competition using exclusionary practices such as self-preferencing their own products, uh, presetting defaults and acquiring innovative competitors over the years. They also capture the value at the expense of their complementos, those uh, businesses that are part of their platform. So they are charging them uh, high uh, service fees and they uh, try to dictate unfavorable terms. They're offering alternatives for free or they're acquiring them. In a way, they position themselves as gatekeepers between the vendors and uh, the consumers. And this is a bit uh, ironic because in the 90s, the hope was that these internet companies will free us from the grip of established corporations. But in fact, the Davids didn't uh, beat the Goliath, they became the Goliath uh, themselves. Even when we look at consumers that supposedly benefited from this, then eventually we see that they suffer from restricted choice uh, as uh, these uh, companies are eliminating the competition prices eventually increase, and they mostly serve uh, their shareholders, not the interest uh, of consumers. The harm to consumers goes beyond economic harm. We've seen how companies like Meta prefer the advertising uh, revenues to uh, public uh, welfare, and they release uh, products that are addictive and uh, harm youngsters and society. And uh, even with respect to their employees, it's true that uh, the best uh, programmers, uh, system uh, uh, analysts, etc., uh, gain uh, well in uh, these uh, big tech companies, but uh, many of the employees are disadvantaged. They are mistreated, they are silenced, uh, there is a cult-like culture emerging in some of these companies. When you think about companies like uh, Uber, it was uh, only recently that uh, their employees uh, well recognized as such. And uh, in fact, uh, they uh, lost uh, uh, power and control that they used to have when they were more independent. So when we think about uh, what has been done about this, it's mostly the traditional uh, tools of policymaking, regulation, antitrust law. And as I mentioned, they are not well designed to deal with this uh, problem. So in the United States, we had the US House Judiciary Committee report that suggested extreme measure, like breaking up uh, these companies and preventing some of uh, these uh, business practices. But uh, this hasn't been uh, followed. It was just a recommendations. And uh, we now have the trial of uh, Google for a practice that they have uh, pursued maybe 15 years ago, and only now it uh, reached uh, the courts. This demonstrates the weakness of this tool because it is very slow and uh, very... Uh, 
not uh, adaptive uh, to uh, emerging situations. Uh, these corporations can easily bypass uh, the problem by changing their business uh, practices at will. And it uh, essentially cannot uh, restore the history and bring back competition. All of these tools are uh, essentially kind of penalties uh, for harm that has been done. They are not fixing the problem and the penalties are negligible compared to the uh, benefits to these uh, companies. So it's a uh, very difficult to uh, change this uh, regulation. There have been efforts, especially in Europe, but this is a process that uh, takes time and is uh, insufficient. So, for instance, we have the Digital Markets Act in uh, the European Union, but uh, it's uh, not really effective uh, in uh, resolving the problems uh, because it uh, asks these companies to self-regulate. And this is a bit uh, naive. And this regulation may cause more harm to small businesses and those who are not well equipped to deal with uh, the extra administrative uh, requirements. They are not necessarily uh, harming to those corporations that uh, are causing the harm. And I think that in recent years, we've uh, seen mostly one aspect of this, uh, which has to do with the loss of privacy and uh, private choice or free choice uh, over digital platforms. So it's not surprising that uh, the big tech companies know about us more than we know about ourselves. So they know about our social networks, uh, about our political views and uh, hobbies, preferences. And if in the past this uh, profile uh, has been used to uh, understand our decisions and choices, now it is uh, used to drive our choices and preferences, not only to cause us to consume more, but also to shape political views and uh, our mindset. And we've seen some of this uh, arising with uh, the Facebook uh, Cambridge Analytica case, and more recently with uh, ChatGPT. So uh, it's uh, not just about uh, misusing uh, private uh, information, but actually about uh, harming a society in large. For instance, uh, it uh, drives uh, users to extremist groups, and uh, we know that uh, fake news uh, travels much faster than, than real news. And again, the regulation is uh, uh, ill-equipped to deal uh, with this uh, emerging challenge. Uh, even the GDPR, which is, uh, I think, the most uh, advanced regulation uh, in uh, Europe, uh, most of the fines have to do with uh, the accessing and gathering of data. Very little of the fines have to do with the protection of uh, human rights. And we've seen how the big uh, tech firms uh, sometimes use this regulation to their favor by restricting accessibility of data to their uh, business partners that are even more disadvantaged uh, with uh, this uh, regulation. In the United States, the situation is even worse because there is a very limited uh, regulation. There was more liberalism uh, in the, the legal uh, arena. And uh, we see that even though uh, the reports recognize the data is the currency of the 21st uh, century, there has been almost no recommendation about uh, how to deal uh, with uh, this uh, challenge. All of this uh, system is designed to increase consumption. So the data that is being used, the manipulations, they are all uh, designed to convince us consumers to consume more and uh, consume what we may not necessarily need. The result is that in uh, the past decades, we've seen increase in consumption 
especially the extraction of natural resources, way beyond the population growth. For instance, between 1990 and 2006, 650% increase in raw material consumption. And uh, it's mostly the rich countries that overconsume, not uh, the poor countries where we've seen perhaps more population growth. So the overconsumption is related clearly to the growth in uh, GDP. And uh, we see that uh, this is uh, uh, very difficult to uh, overturn. Why do we overconsume? It's mostly the psychological uh, characteristic that uh, companies and corporations are uh, leveraging, which is uh, to convince us uh, that uh, consumption will serve our emotional needs. But this is uh, deceiving because it doesn't really guarantee happiness. Uh, it's true that. Uh, People are happy when they see improvement, relative improvement in their welfare. But uh, if everyone is striving to consume more, then we are not really improving our relative position. We are just uh, uh, over-consuming, which is related to overproduction. But even if we look at the SDGs, uh, they will not be able to uh, undo this because uh, some of them are like SDG 8, try to maintain the current level of growth and ensure that uh, uh, humans uh, have access to resources. So it's unclear how exactly we are going to fight uh, this uh, challenge. And this uh, relates also to the tragedy of the commons that uh, we consume at the expense of others and future generations. So companies have been focusing on uh, convincing us to overconsume, and most of the advertising is uh, geared uh, toward these uh, emotional uh, needs. And if you think about this, uh, in the United States, for instance, uh, adults spend about 11 hours on average in front of screens. Kids are exposed to more than uh, 680 advertisements uh, per day. Uh, so uh, we are pretty much uh, brainwashed. And this overconsumption leads directly to overproduction. And it explains uh, why we have industrial uh, farming and uh, why uh, we see that uh, natural resources, uh, the water, the air, uh, the soil are being exploited in a way which is uh, very difficult to uh, to amend. So, in terms of uh, what has been done about this, uh, we have a trend of uh, corporate social responsibility. But, sorry, hold on. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. Before we go into that, because I think I mean one of the things that I'm so a lot of what you're describing now, um, I mean, these are are things that I can that we see and observe in our world. I, I I think most people would recognize this sort of description of of what's going on. Um, and one of the frames um, that I'm spending a lot of time thinking about is that the the underlying causes because because I see these not as not as as problems, but I see them as symptoms. Rather than rather than the problems themselves, and so so there's something underlying here which is um, um, probably that's driving this change. Because I mean, this is very much sort of self self. And, and my proposal then is sort of that it has to do with how we think and how we act, and that has to do with something around our. It relates very much to our cultural context, like the the type of the type of logic or the type of thinking, the type of sort of ontological reality that we are. That we are uh, perceiving, uh, how how we are perceiving uh, the world around us, and um, also like a lot of what you're describing. I mean, it's like 
the way that I've been been understanding the economic history is there's been like a ratcheting up of these. Like it's been the competition has 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 increased. It's changed like from from when Milton Friedman said that the only <laughs> the only uh, purpose of of the company is to uh, maximize the profit of the shareholders. Um, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't always like this. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't like the, a lot of these things have been really sort of calcified or like polarized or even more turned up or like fed with, with more energy. Um, and, and then now I just wanted to go to one one thing where uh, now you in the end you're saying, saying that the overconsumption leads to overproduction. But there are also theorists and economists and so forth that says that the overproduction leads to the overconsumption, that that the demand is, and which I kind of heard you speak to as well in terms of the social media and services and so forth, that that the demand is is uh, artificial in a sense, like that it's not necessarily connected anymore to to human needs, but it is it's a manufactured demand, and you could draw that down to whatever Freud's brother-in-law or something like that back in the marketing and blah 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 blah. You know, like you know all these uh, all these different uh, stories. But I'm I'm wondering when you uh, you've described really well sort of that that high level of of where we are currently in the system, and if you but if you would sink a little bit deeper and then maybe talk about things like you, you talked about the, uh, uh, the the profit part, but but what, where are the sort of? Can you say something about sort of the the values or something like that 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 seem to be underlying here? That what are the assumptions or like sort of the axiomatic basis that we are moving in this? Uh, because yeah, okay, so I fully agree with uh, your analysis. It has to do with values and uh, perceptions, and the issue is that uh, all of uh, these uh, challenges uh, are indeed symptoms of uh, our economic uh, system and the way it is uh, designed. So our system is designed to maximize uh, profit, utility, and shareholder value. It's not that there are no societal uh, values that uh, are important, but the system prioritizes the economic returns over these societal values. Furthermore, it uh, is not uh, just recognizing that uh, the system is exploitative, it celebrates exploitation. So we uh, end up uh, really admiring entrepreneurs uh, that have been very successful, like uh, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, and others. Uh, in our uh, classes, in uh, our business strategy classes, we teach these cases and aspire our students to become like them one day. So the ultimate success uh, in our world is uh, if you are successful in exploiting uh, the other stakeholders, the resources. And uh, this is uh, very deep ingrained in the DNA of the system. We cannot fix it by treating the symptoms. And most of the uh, efforts to fix these problems uh, deal with the symptoms. So we have regulation, legislation, uh, production efficiency, and other efforts uh, to try to remedy. But uh, the problem is that... Uh, they're trying to fix only one symptom or very few aspects, and they're all interdependent. So you might shift the problem from one stakeholder group to another, from one country to another, but you cannot really resolve it. And we see even rebound effects. So if you are enhancing, uh, let's say, uh, recycling of plastic, you see that uh, the countries where there was uh, the greatest success with uh, recycling are also the countries where you see overconsumption of uh, plastic because uh, individuals believe, well, it's being recycled, so we can consume even more. 
And uh, you have uh, cities where they introduced uh, scooters to replace uh, cars, but in fact, they replaced public transportation and walking. So they don't really solve the problem. And uh, the issue is that uh, this has been the case uh, for uh, centuries since uh, the emergence of capitalism. The difference is that now we have uh, digital technologies, we have algorithms, we have artificial intelligence, and these uh, tools make the system much more efficient and effective in striving toward its purpose. And at the same time, they cause more harm to society than ever before. So the issue is that we need uh, not uh, to uh, treat the symptoms, but understand what is the underlying cause. And the underlying cause is opportunistic behavior. Opportunistic behavior is essentially benefiting yourself at the expense of others. And some would argue that this has to do with human nature. But in any case, it's being reinforced by the economic uh, system. So it's true that greed is a human uh, attribute, but the system is uh, promoting, reinforcing it, and uh, makes it uh, much more dominant than it should be. So my suggestion is, first of all, to focus on the cause, not uh, on the symptoms, and try to offer a systemic solution to a systemic problem. Uh, we have to recognize that uh, the current system cannot be fixed. I'll uh, explain uh, why. All the participants in economic exchange have uh, an incentive to retain the current system. So, for instance, uh, governments, uh, they would not want to see degrowth which uh, would lead to bankruptcies, collapse of the stock market, uh, job loss, they want to enhance uh, their uh, productivity and economic uh, success and uh, global uh, uh, influence. Corporations, obviously, they don't want to lose their revenues, profits. They want to grow and uh, succeed. Employees of these companies don't want their companies to uh, lose their dominance. They are concerned about job security. Consumers, they don't want to uh, reduce their consumption and change their lifestyle. So the issue with the voluntary simplicity, which is a very important uh, theme, is not with the word simplicity, but with the word voluntarily. So it's uh, highly unlikely that consumers overall will voluntarily accept policies that restrict their utility and benefit. So if all of the participants in the economic system have incentive to retain it, how do we expect it to amend itself to change it's not going to happen mm. and and no yes okay and but, but there's something I'd, I'd love to kind of still kind of get to the because you said that you want to address the cause and, and i'd love to kind of let's see if we can get closer to that cause but as i was hearing you describing this um these different groups um these different categorizations um what was just became really obvious to me um as you were describing it in this way, it's just like, I mean, the, the, we're not talking about people. Um, we're, we're talking about uh, consumers. And, and I am a consumer, but I'm also not just a consumer. Uh, I am uh, a worker. I'm an employee. I'm an employer. Uh, but I'm not just an employee, nor just an employer. Like, and, and I am a participant in the economic system, but I'm also a participant in a lot of different systems. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering... You know, there's a way to, 
a lot of people in in some circles are talking about sort of Descartes and sort of the mind body split and, and so forth uh, in terms of that, that we made that separation that that is a, a driving factor to this uh, underlying feeling of separation and this feeling of separation is our inability that is driving our inability to to actually be able to engage in this type of um uh, opportunistic behavior as you as you put it because this is how we see the world so we believe that we can gain something when someone else can lose something and that is that that is possible whereas in other religious or spiritual traditions or cultural traditions, uh, this is not possible because if I lose, uh, then then you lose. And if you win, then I win. And, and so this is a, a completely different way of, of observing and being and, and, and looking at the world. So um, I'm, I'm curious about sort of that, that interpretation of Descartes, that what he did maybe wasn't so much about the mind-body split, or I mean, of course he did that too, but, but the actual underlying move there was this move towards abstraction and this move towards categorization and this move towards and that underlying that i would argue has to do with the the mechanistic worldview where we are seeing things as parts that we can in a meaningful way describe a worldview by describing the consumers and the producers and the workers and the whatever and the parents and the um, children and you know i mean all of these categorization these groups that are um, groups but they are also um, parts of people. So, so it's not Dovev or Amit. I mean, and, and you and I are, are all of these things and way more like you are, you are, you have many more uh, interactions and you are much more than just the, your interactions with the economic system. Um, so there's no real question there, but it's like in th- that line of reasoning, um, how does it f- inform your work? Well, like, how I, does I think it... you are raising a very important point because uh, what you're suggesting is that uh, our worldview affects our behavior. And indeed, uh, in uh, business schools, we are teaching students about this separation between uh, the consumers, the vendors, the shareholders. We are teaching them that uh, the way to uh, progress is uh, to create and capture value, to make profit. And then uh, these students go out to the world, they become managers and executives, and they pursue our teaching. And then we complain about the outcome because... uh, or to the contrary, we say, oh, here's the proof. Our frameworks work. Well, of course we work because we are uh, teaching them, but it doesn't necessarily need to be the case. You mentioned the spiritual beliefs that counter this economic logic. So if uh, in business schools we would uh, teach spirituality, maybe the outcome would be the opposite. And this is actually the essence of uh, my uh, realization, that the core assumptions in economic about self-interest uh, pursuit of profits and utility, it's uh, an assumption that we pursue, but it's not uh, like a physical force of nature. And as you mentioned, uh, there are uh, groups in societies, individuals that uh, believe uh, that uh, other values uh, should uh, supersede. And uh, I uh, agree. So the issue is uh, that uh, ultimately what we seek is not profit and utility. We seek uh, happiness, of course, after our uh, physical needs uh, are met. So some individuals will uh, feel happy when they gain profit and utility. But for others, uh, happiness uh, can be pursued and achieved in many other ways. So if we uh, just uh, break this uh, strong assumption and we allow for more variety of views, uh, we'll realize that this is the key for the solution. And there are many examples where humans behave in a way which is not aligned with uh, the predictions of economic theory. So, for instance, uh, in uh, part of my work, uh, I uh, uh, 
was a part of a team that uh, had a special issue in a journal published uh, that uh, gave the case of the craft beer industry in the U.S., where you had uh, established breweries uh, helping startup uh, companies that uh, came into the industry with uh, certifications, with marketing, production. Essentially, they were breeding their competition. Also in the Silicon Valley, you have uh, this culture of established uh, companies helping startups, even though they might compete with them one day. In uh, any work uh, environment, you have employees helping uh, new co-workers, uh, even though they would not see immediate uh, benefit to that. The principle here is paid forward. Uh, you uh, received some support or help from society and you feel gratitude that you uh, then use in order to help others be kind to others, even though those, those are not uh, the individuals or companies that helped you early on. So there is a kind of uh, indirect reciprocity here. And this uh, challenges the economic logic. In fact, uh, in my book, I focus on this notion of pro-social behavior. Pro-social behavior is essentially uh, benefiting others, enhancing the welfare of others at a cost to yourself. This cost uh, could be your time and effort that you invest. But the idea here is that uh, this pro-social behavior is the mirror image of opportunistic behavior. Opportunistic behavior enhances your own welfare at the expense of others. Pro-social behavior enhances the welfare of others at the cost to yourself. And you wonder, why do people do that? So some of them are altruistic. So they are doing that uh, with no expectation for reward or for the avoidance of punishment. Other might want to enhance their reputation and position in society. But there are many examples of uh, this behavior, which is just the opposite of what economics uh, behavior would uh, expect. Uh, in Italy, for instance, there is this uh, notion of caffè sospeso. Uh, it's uh, common in Napoli where you go to the bar and you order coffee, but you pay for two. One is for you and one is for uh, someone who might come in the future and would not have the funds to buy coffee and they can use this uh, sospeso uh, to pay for their coffee. So you are helping uh, an undisclosed person in the future that you are not even connected to. So uh, the issue is that uh, individuals are different. Some individuals are inherently opportunistic. Others are uh, demonstrating high levels of uh, pro-social behavior. Most of us are in the middle. Most of us uh, are, in fact, what I call uh, conditionally pro-social. We will be kind to others if others are kind to us, and we will not be kind to others if others are not uh, kind to us. And uh, when you think about uh, what drives pro-social behavior, there are many explanations. Part of it has to do with personality, specifically people that are fair, uh, humility, honesty, uh, being modest, faithful, have been linked to this kind of pro-social behavior, uh, which is measured with uh, donations, blood donations, or other types of uh, support. Part of it has to do with the culture, where we grew up, and what are the values that our parents uh, instituted to us. Part of it has to do uh, with uh, religious or spiritual beliefs, like you implied uh, earlier. It also uh, better featured in smaller groups, especially groups that are uh, in conflict with external groups. So we know about uh, what drives this behavior. And some people will uh, behave pro-socially because they recognize the normative uh, expectations and legitimacy of these behaviors. Otherwise, we'll follow this just because of rewards or punishment. If there is regulation or some other kind of laws, they will align with that. 
And the issue is that as much as opportunistic behavior pays off economically, pro-social behavior pays off emotionally. So people that uh, are pro-social uh, are happier. They enjoy a higher sense of well-being, a positive affect, and a greater life satisfaction. And uh, if you uh, believe uh, in uh, spirituality or you follow religious practice, then you would expect also that this would pay off economically because the universe will uh, pay back to you whatever you uh, donated or helped uh, others. So the ultimate question is, why don't we see much of this in our economic system? Why we have uh, individuals uh, leaving uh, the service at the church, uh, synagogue or mosque, and then proceeding to the market and uh, trying uh, to uh, exploit others. So uh, the issue is that uh, both opportunistic behavior and prosocial behavior are self-reinforcing. If you observe others that are cheating, misbehaving, exploiting, then you uh, tend to uh, recognize that uh, this type of behavior is acceptable and you will follow suit, especially if you've been a victim of opportunistic behavior, then uh, even you have pro-social tendencies, you're not going to exhibit them. Uh, so in our economic system, it rewards those who behave opportunistically, it penalizes those that behave pro-socially. So we see that the opportunistic behavior overpowers pro-social behavior. So uh, this is uh, the, let's say, the deep uh, analysis of uh, what we observe in our economic system, it all comes down to this, uh, uh, let's say, contest between opportunistic behavior and pro-social behavior, and opportunistic behavior wins. Uh, so on the one hand, it uh, demonstrates that it will be very difficult to undo this in our economic system. On the other hand, it suggests that if you can come up with another economic system that follows design principles that promote pro-social behavior, we might be able to push it beyond the tipping point where it becomes the dominant behavior. And this uh, will help undo the harm caused by opportunistic behavior. Cool. Yeah, let's get into it now. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> we can start talking about um, the, the system that you've, you have um, developed and, and uh, worked on and also experimented with. And, and uh, I mean, you have some, some both sort of theoretical and also a, a, an emerging um, part of, of uh, actual, uh, let's say, proof or, or experimental evidence. Um, but but uh, take us into the thinking okay. that you've done. So uh, the purpose is to create an economic system that promotes prosocial behavior and prioritize societal values uh, over uh, profit-making and utility maximization. Uh, this uh, system requires the cooperation of all the stakeholders. Uh, mostly, we have emphasized the importance of corporate social responsibility and uh, amending the corporate uh, mission, uh, but uh, it's not sufficient if uh, corporations are trying to change their ways. In fact, I think that uh, expecting corporations to lead this change is uh, probably not uh, the best uh, scenario. So we have to uh, change the responsibilities of the platforms uh, on which uh, the economic exchange is uh, instituted. We have uh, to uh, impose uh, social responsibility on vendors, consumers, and employees. Each group's social responsibility is different depending on the role in the economic system. And these uh, responsibilities are embedded in the design principles for the 
economic system. So I call this uh, the cooperative economy. And the idea here, uh, this is an ethical community-driven exchange system that uh, leverages collective actions to promote societal values under resource constraints. And it has several principles. I will uh, mention some of these principles. So one principle is community focus. Our current economic system is global, uh, which uh, means that uh, the production is uh, focused on specific uh, continents or countries, and uh, we have uh, transportation across uh, uh, countries, and uh, this uh, has uh, some ramifications. For instance, it makes the system very fragile and dependent. So when we have a local conflict, a war, or some other natural disaster, we experience the implications in other parts of the world uh, where there is shortage of resources or hunger. And in any case, the problem is that when you have global exchange, the buyer and the sellers are disconnected. If you focus economic activities within community, these communities uh, share values, cultures, believe, uh, people uh, know each other. They may even interact uh, physically. And therefore, uh, there is more likely for trust to evolve, uh, for more uh, mutual responsibility and accountability. And this is where we expect to see more pro-social behavior in uh, exchange. So shifting focus to communities can help us uh, strive uh, toward a more just economic system and also reduce transport distances and make it uh, more resilient. It doesn't mean that communities will not trade between themselves, but priority should be given to trade within uh, communities. Uh, another important uh, design principle has to do with uh, subsidizing the needy. In our current economic system, uh, the transfers are based on the tax system. So we uh, trust uh, the government and policy uh, makers, politicians to uh, manage this uh, system and shift uh, funding from those who have to those in need. But 70% of the population don't believe the tax system and the politicians who run it, and for a reason. And when you pay taxes, you don't feel that you are donating, contributing to society. You feel that you are penalized, you are exploited. Uh, so the idea is that uh, if you are transferring funds and striving toward economic equality uh, directly between individuals within the community, you can... Uh, gain the benefits of pro-social behaviors. So the idea is that uh, we go to the bar and uh, we order coffee, uh, but the price that we pay is different. Uh, if uh, I earn more, I pay more for my coffee and than you. And this way, I know that whenever I purchase this coffee, I'm helping someone in my community. So what uh, we see here is that we align the consumption, the private... Uh, pursuit of uh, self-interest with community donations, with uh, serving uh, our community. And therefore, we are actually happy when we are donating, helping someone in the community. Another issue here is the paid forward principle. So if uh, I go for coffee with uh, my student and I pay more, uh, 20 years forward, this student uh, will become an executive or professor. I will retire. So when we meet and go again to uh, that uh, bar, that student will pay more than I would. And uh, he will do that out of a sense of gratitude because he benefited from this system in the past and he has this uh, sense of uh, giving back to uh, his uh, community. So it's a very strong uh, self-reinforcing process uh, of uh, 
donations and contribution within the community that uh, can uh, enhance uh, more economic uh, equality. And this system uh, also provides uh, freedom to uh, consumers, to, to users, uh, because uh, you can uh, pursue your uh, profession of choice. So uh, if you are a yoga trainer or an opera singer, you can make a living because you, uh, your purchasing power is uh, more than otherwise you would in our current economic system. And therefore, we would expect to see that individuals are even more motivated to be productive uh, contributors to their community because they would be able to pursue their dreams. So uh, the system is not uh, uh, restricting uh, mm. entrepreneurship uh, and uh, effort. To the contrary, there is, of course, uh, the concern that if you... Uh, uh, subsidize prices in a way that uh, would uh, be too much aligned with uh, earning, then the high earners would not want to uh, take part in the system because they would feel exploited and the low earners will free ride. So, of course, you have to make sure that uh, the subsidies are still leaving uh, motivation for uh, individuals to improve their economic uh, situation. Related to that is uh, the issue of consumption. So obviously, if you increase the purchasing power of uh, the poor, they will consume more. So you want to uh, limit uh, consumption and uh, design this limit in such a way that uh, the high earners uh, would uh, be less limited because you want them to uh, still purchase to the extent that would subsidize the purchases of uh, those who are earning less. So uh, another principle is that of uh, profit. Cups. There is nothing wrong with making profit. There is a lot wrong with making excessive profit because when a profit is unlimited, some companies will go the extra mile to make another dollar or euro at the expense of stakeholders and society. But if you know that beyond a certain threshold, everything that you earn is being redistributed to consumers, then it takes away the motivation to exploit because uh, you will not be able to increase your profit beyond that threshold anyway. So the issue here is that we need to figure out what is the right subsidization formula. We need to figure out what is the right consumption limit, what is the right profit limit. And this is uh, something which is dynamic. It's not uh, consistent across uh, participants in exchange. And uh, the solution to that is uh, technological. Currently, we have uh, technology being used to allow uh, corporations, uh, companies to exploit their stakeholders. But you can use artificial intelligence, machine learning, algorithms to optimize the system so that it will motivate the pursuit of societal values rather than profit maximization and utility maximization. So my suggestion is that uh, this... uh, cooperative economy will be instituted on a digital platform and we leverage the most advanced technology that we have today to serve society rather than exploit it. Uh, Let me give you another example of how you can use this technology. Today, uh, we have uh, companies being promoted based on how much they pay Google to feature uh, on uh, the search engine. Uh, So it has nothing to do with uh, their contribution to consumers or society. It has to do with how much they pay. And this gives an advantage to large corporations, those who have the budget. But you can create a system 
that prioritizes vendors based on low cost, high quality, sustainability score, and distance to the consumer. These are more objective uh, characteristics that serve the interests of uh, consumers, and uh, this is how you can use technology to uh, promote uh, societal uh, values. But uh, the issue is, uh, why should we trust the system? How do we know that uh, this system will in fact pursue this as opposed to just to be another platform uh, like uh, Uber uh, mm-hmm. that uh, will uh, exploit society? So the idea is that uh, once the system uh, would run, uh, you would uh, notice uh, that it uh, serves that purpose. But uh, to begin with, you have to give some uh, credibility. And uh, the idea is that this system will be much more transparent than the current systems. I think that uh, even executives in uh, Google, Amazon, or Apple uh, are not fully familiar with uh, how the algorithms of their systems uh, work. And as uh, outsiders, consumers, uh, vendors, we definitely don't know. We just uh, observe the outcomes. So the idea is that uh, transparency should uh, go beyond just uh, business practices and cover also algorithms. There should be an external body that goes and inspects the business practices and algorithms of these digital platforms and confirms that they indeed serve their purpose. Of course, me and you, we cannot uh, look into the code and say, uh, certify the code. So there should be specialists that are able to inspect it And if uh, we have this kind of uh, system of uh, inspection and certification, it is more advantageous than regulation and uh, all uh, these uh, trials which are trying to fix the problem after it has occurred, many years after, because this certification can uh, guide companies to try to be more uh, uh, socially oriented upfront and change their algorithms as business practices in order to be perceived as highly rated. And uh, this, again, aligns the business uh, objectives of companies with societal values. The current uh, economic system follows the idea that there is disparity between what companies want to achieve, which is more profits, and what society expects them to do. And if we have this uh, system of uh, certification, it can, uh, again, bring them together. So the best interest, business interest of uh, the company would be to be kind to society because this is how they will be highly rated and this will also serve their economic uh, purpose. I will, uh, but, yeah. Yeah, there's, there, there's like a, there's something here. So, so one thing I, I wanted to kind of rewind a little bit because I think that was, that's, it's interesting in terms of, when you're speaking of the, the sort of the purchasing purchasing power of of uh, basically adjusting adjusting costs and prices and cost of living uh, based on um, income in some way, uh, which is um, so I'll say a longer thing and then let's see let's see what what kind of comes in because there are a couple of things that that are that are here. So like one thing, I mean a lot of the stuff that I've been looking at where I see economic thinking um, really. Uh, going or like one strand of economic thinking going is around sort of this idea of the true cost. And so uh, an, another identification of, of the problem has been that, okay, we have so much externalities. We don't have a clear idea 
of the cost, the actual cost of, of what we are purchasing. And if um, it's a slightly different idea, I guess, but it's like if we would have an idea of what the true cost was, uh, you know, that, that we would really have, have it visible. I mean, whatever, the way that we've been dealing with smoking, for instance, you know, you have these horrible pictures on the, on the, uh, and then people will, will not want to engage it because they realize and they get reminded that this is what they're doing or this, uh, whatever palm oil or, or uh, shrimp farming or, or, I mean, any of these activities that are, ex- are externalized and, and this, um, this has not been reflected in the pricing. So, there's this move towards, let's say, uh, let's, let's uh, do costing in a different way and let that costing actually be reflected in the pricing of the, of the goods and so that everything gets more expensive and therefore we are driving down consumption um, as a, I mean, this is much more, I guess, market oriented rather than, I mean, it's, it's a sort of let the market take care of itself. Um, so that's, that was just something that I, I found was interesting because then it really depends on like which, which is the system level that you are caring for? Uh, you know, are we looking at the human level? Are we concerned about human uh, societies and human social interactions? Are we concerned with uh, all the living things that would be perceived to be living? Are we concerned with the planet? Are we concerned with life? I mean, which which level of, of abstraction are we placing and, and observing and looking at these sort of caps or restrictions or these, this value judgment around sort of what is good? And I think that comes back to now when you were speaking of the of the um, the profit caps and and also this the sort of technology aspect because we are speaking of societal values but then what becomes very important I think is to also think about which society I mean because then then it's a cultural value and it's a cultural thing and so which culture um, whose culture you know and then we're back in in this whole circle of of um, I mean we can deal with with the, the colonial narrative we have that whole sort of history to deal with and and how that how that plays out we have um, uh, I mean, many different, many different sort of very, very problematic um, outcomes when we start speaking in terms of uh, we will reward certain things that are uh, that we believe is good or that are abstractions from maybe uh, things. I mean, I, uh, that's that's the second point, and then my third point would be, and and so like I said, that this, this is a bit um, wide ranging, but but nonetheless. But then the third thing is this. Um, realization that I'm having as I'm moving into these uh, new ways of thinking and a lot of what I've, I've, I'm spending time with has to do with complexity. So like the complexity systems and the, the, the sort of, and there, um, of course, like what is a fundamental principle is that what you are doing, what you're responding to directly uh, is not, you don't, you can't get to the end point directly. You, you are interacting with a complex system it's a dynamic system and the system itself has a logic and it's going to respond and, and do things. And so direct action or direct correctives or first order effects is not the way to approach these, uh, these things, but rather you'd have to sort of modulate and you have to work with and you have to deploy these little tests and then you have to create attractor points. And then it's, it's a completely different way to, to approach. And, and a lot of that has to do with uh, how we understand and which, which level that we are operating on. So, so, um, I mean, I have a lot of resonance in terms of the, uh, the underlying values, but then when, when we get into these sort of here, are the, the principles like the sign principles, they seem to me to be, you know, they're, they're quite direct and they're addressing issues and, and symptoms that we, as we've already kind of concluded that, that we see today. And I wonder when you play them forward a couple of times, do a couple of, you know, iterations on these symptoms, you, I mean, I just, I get, 
worried because it feels like there are so many different pot potential paths here that that are not um, relating to again. I mean, what you described beautifully in the beginning, but like the the people's freedom, this underlying happiness, um, you know, those things. So I'm, I'm curious about sort of those those three. This is is quite. Uh, yeah, no, just to sort of make it, hide it or make it visible versus the whose culture and then also this complexity. Sort of yes, the so you raised several uh, issues. Uh, the idea of a uh, true price is uh, very interesting and I think it uh, potentially can address some uh, aspects uh, of the problem. Uh, but of course, uh, measuring the true price is not uh, that straightforward. It's yeah. unclear oh, God, no. what... Yeah. Uh, will uh, make uh, companies uh, pursue this path unless you have uh, something uh, external that uh, forces them to do that. And uh, one side effect of this would be that it would be the rich that can afford paying the true price and the poor who will have uh, to resort to uh, uh, lower quality products and services because they will not be able to afford the true price. So this demonstrates to you, uh, again, that this solution uh, is uh, partial. And uh, but, 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 but sorry, just because this relates to something that you said earlier, which I thought was really interesting uh, that we kind of just kind of skipped over. Uh, but, but that is provided that we stay within the economic logic. Exactly. Um, and you said, so, you said previously around sort of that there are different currencies occurring in a way. Like you have, of course, we have financial currencies. But at the moment, if you look at the, what's prioritized in the tech market, we are looking at information as a currency, um, right? And, and in a way, in the social market, if you, if you excuse my my sort of blasphemy, but like in in my family or in my uh, friends' relationships, like relationships with friends and, and my social interactions, there are other value exchanges, other value carriers that are being utilized, and we are doing this every day already. I mean, if right. I go to Berlin and stay with my friends, I've basically exchanged, let's say, social capital exactly. for. Uh, financial capital because I don't have to pay for the hotel. So, so um, the, the idea of true price and many other policies is that they're trying to fix some aspects of the current economic system, but the logic of the system remains the same. So uh, the logic of the system would be still trying to maximize uh, profit and utility, assuming that we can capture uh, the true uh, cost or price, uh, but uh, it will not change the motivation. What uh, I'm suggesting is a system that uh, promotes pro-social behavior where it aligns the economic outcomes with societal values uh, at the core. So, uh, But wait, sorry, and that's really interesting. But then to me, then, so, so just for humor me here, when we talk about the pro-social behavior, uh, that to me, if I would criticize that, I would say that's very anthropocentric. That's, that has to do with humans dealing with humans, no? Or am I missing something here? Is it, is it, it, how does it has it to do to the, with the humans the dealing system? with humans, but humans uh, also uh, follow incentives. And within a, a system, uh, they will uh, follow norms in the system. And if uh, the norms in the system uh, are promoting uh, opportunistic behavior, they behave more opportunistically. And if the norms are uh, promoting uh, prosocial behavior, they will behave more prosocially. So uh, humans, uh, most of them would adjust their behavior based uh, on the norms in uh, their environment, uh, the incentives. And this is what uh, I'm suggesting to change. So you asked earlier, what are those societal values? And what about uh, different cultures, communities? Uh, how yeah. would this uh, 
be aligned. So the issue is uh, that some societal values uh, are generic. So if we talk about economic equality, about freedom of choice, uh, these are uh, values that uh, I think uh, every uh, community or society would pursue. But it's true that every uh, community would have its own uh, unique uh, cultures and uh, social values. Uh, this economic system is an infrastructure. It provides uh, a means for economic exchange. It doesn't change uh, the beliefs or culture of uh, the communities where it is uh, based. The current economic system, on the other hand, it promotes a more global uh, economy, like a culture that is focuses on consumerism, capitalistic uh, approach, uh, and challenges uh, local values and norms. So it uh, challenges the the morals of the system. The system that uh, I suggest. I mean, that's that's tricky territory. I mean, even that is tricky territory because you cannot say that. I mean, if if you have, if you build roads, which is infrastructure, uh, then people will drive on the roads. So that influences what people will see and what they will, where they will drive and how fast they will drive and all of that stuff. That's a consequence of the infrastructure. So I, I don't think you can say necessarily that. There's a to me there's an there's an interaffordance and there's a there's a mutually reinforcing um, aspect of of structure yes. so, and culture. I so mean, the structure you cannot the say structure, it's just a structure. The structure affects behavior, but uh, it is not designed to overpower the local system of uh, beliefs and values of the communities. It just provides them a means to become more uh, cohesive because you will be uh, uh, managing economic exchange within your communities, it will reinforce the local Mm. culture and beliefs and values of the community. It will not uh, challenge them. And because it's community-based and not global, it could be that uh, the cultures in different communities will be different, and this uh, system will not uh, challenge that. And uh, let me clarify that the purpose here is not to make people more pro-social. Mm. Uh, the idea is that uh, people are different and some of them are more pro-social than others. So the system will just uh, allow them to follow their nature, to show their true colors, and those who behave pro-socially will uh, uh, follow the, the norms. And those who uh, do not behave pro-socially or are inclined to behave opportunistically will uh, not take part of the system. They will uh, be excluded and they can use the existing economic system. So the system's the cooperative economy is not designed to replace the current economic system. It will be uh, alongside that system, and uh, people will have a choice which system they would want to use. Those that uh, allow them to profit more but uh, are featured with opportunistic behavior, or those uh, that are more uh, pursuing equality and uh, feature uh, pro-social behavior. But as you mentioned, there is the issue of complexity. And uh, It's uh, true that what we see today are mostly efforts of simplifications, trying to focus on one aspect and offer a regulation, policy, or treatment to deal with that aspect. And this is uh, a limitation because the problem is systemic. Uh, This is why uh, we need to think about uh, systemic solutions. But as you indeed mentioned, we cannot foresee the outcomes of this intervention because it's so complex. And that's why uh, my idea is uh, not to design the best uh, system and then to implement it like a turnkey project, but Mm. to give design principles and then uh, experiment 
and use technology like machine learning, artificial intelligence to take data about the outcomes behavior and then optimize the parameters in a way which uh, would uh, improve the behavior. So, for instance, if we see that uh, the subsidizing mechanism is too extreme and uh, we have uh, the high earners deciding not to participate and therefore the, the, we, we will not be able to achieve that uh, result, then you can align these parameters in a way that uh, would uh, uh, be more beneficial to uh, the community overall. So uh, the idea here is uh, to uh, engage in uh, experimentation and research, you know, to improve the system uh, as you go, uh, because it's very difficult to design uh, or, or draft such a system uh, in theory and then expect it to exhibit the sure. optimal behavior. And this is why the, the next step should involve experiments, first lab experiments, then field experiments, and uh, to show a proof of concept. Yeah. I'm noticing that we're, we're also kind of coming to the, to the end of our time. Um, in terms of, like, if, you know, any, any final words? <laughs> Not like that. But okay. So but it, there's something that, I mean, this, this of course, is, is kind of followed followed my my curiosity a lot uh, in terms of what we've been talking about and I'm aware of my own I'm not aware of my own blind spots I should say but I know that I have them uh, let's put it that way <laughs> so if you would uh, if there's something that you would like to kind of uh, bring in or or influence that you think should have been in the conversation or that we missed or, or that you would like to well let me let me finish with a call for action and some optimism uh, because cool. uh, we have been uh, looking at uh, grand societal challenges and uh, looking at this at force majeure, but at the end of the day, uh, it is us humans that created these challenges and we designed our economic system. Uh, we can change it. And uh, I think that uh, uh, there is a room for optimism because uh, if uh, each of us uh, will uh, take uh, action, and uh, use uh, their best uh, skills uh, to uh, strive uh, toward uh, a solution, I think it is uh, within uh, reach. So uh, specifically with respect to uh, my idea of the cooperative economy, I uh, would uh, call my fellow uh, scholars and researchers uh, to not dismiss my ideas, but uh, prove them wrong. Okay, so design experiments, uh, try this and see what works and what doesn't. And I think that uh, especially uh, professionals in uh, the information technology industries, programmers, and uh, those uh, who uh, contributed a lot to uh, the development of our technology in the past uh, decades, uh, you uh, may uh, be concerned about your creation. The solution is uh, to use your skills to try to promote uh, society-oriented uh, technological platforms like the one that I'm suggested and uh, get in touch if you uh, want uh, to be involved in such a project. And eventually, uh, this uh, project should be uh, serving the community and uh, being pursued by the community. And therefore, it should uh, be based uh, on uh, funding from uh, crowdfunding and not uh, investments in the typical uh, sense. And uh, I have uh, an action plan for moving forward with this. And uh, I think it's not just a theoretical idea, it's a practical idea. And I have some uh, preliminary results of experiments that I've ran that uh, support this uh, 
Notion. Uh, so uh, if you are interested to learn more about this, I would encourage you to visit uh, the book's website. It is uh, cooperativeeconomy.net. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing uh, progress with this. And thank you for offering me the opportunity to discuss this. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, you already mentioned the the webpage cooperativeeconomy.net. I'll put it in the show notes as well. Is there somewhere somewhere else where people could get in touch with you if they would want yes, to? Yes, I also have my uh, website uh, dovevlavi.com, which is uh, another way to learn more about my work and get in touch. Great. That's also in the in the show notes for this episode. Thank you so much for for taking the time. I I appreciate it and uh, like you say, I think we need to I'm definitely on the project of of starting to reimagine some of these things. And and anyways, discussion is constructive because we start imagining the world a little bit differently. And then, as you say, all of these different imaginations might might just shift something. Or I'm I'm pretty sure that it will, or it already has, or <laughs> however you want to relate to time on that subject. But uh, thank you very much. For taking thank you. Time.